to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, joined as always by my co-host Ben. Hello, hello. And today we have a special treat for everyone. We are joined by two people today, Jordan and Nick. Hello, Jordan and Nick. Hello. Hello. So how's everyone doing today? Uh, tired. Slightly. What'd you get why up to? Are, why are you tired? Uh, had a little bit of the... Uh, I was trying to think of a fun name. Jesus juice isn't the <laughs> correct thing to call it. Oh my god! But I think that's something different. Uh, <laughs> but just you know, my uh, girlfriend threw a party yesterday for three of her friends, uh, a joint birthday party, safely in the in her backyard, COVID friendly, um, and uh, carried Wait. on a bit into the evening. So three of her friends have the same birthday, or it was just a multi-birthday for people whose birthdays are around the same time? Yeah, yeah. So they didn't really have a way to celebrate parties at their own places, and so they were just like... And they didn't want to do too many congregations, so they coordinated. And so, you, and so you ended up with Jesus Juice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Better that than the devil's lettuce. <laughs> I mean, there was a prime opportunity to call it the good juice, and we might get it to oh. that a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, you missed it. You missed your shot. Oh well, but that's okay. Next, don't time. worry about it. Next time. What about you, Jordan? How are you? Good. Uh, not spending extensive amounts of time outside uh, as uh, as Nick, but uh, since the winter doesn't seem to end over here, but um, all good. All good. We. So Nick least... only said he was outside for one evening. So you're not even spending that much time outside. <laughs> not a whole evening. God, no. It's way too way too long. A walk, maybe. <laughs> Embracing the hermit life. Okay. Yeah, it's it's still still too cold. Um, yeah, otherwise good. You know, bubble friends and family. And streams kick in. Yeah, why don't you tell everyone about your stream? Yes, plug oh. it. God. <laughs> Do the plugs isn't your plug section at the end of the podcast? Nope, it's right. You here. don't have a plug section. <laughs> it is now. Uh twitch.tv forward slash skinil and trim. Uh it's you want you wanna spell that? You wanna spell that for the fans? S K N I L and A N D T R I M M. Uh two, there were two that... potential areas to get messed up on there. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, we try to make every single game co-op games, so whether that's like weird challenges or running single-player games kind of side-by-side with uh, some restrictions, it's always fun. Um, we always do some like community game nights as well. Uh, I believe all three of you have shown up, hung out with the with the crowd, which is, which is very much appreciated, but yeah, it's fun. It's a cool place to be. We played Jackbox on your stream a couple of weeks ago, which was fun. Yeah, Ben, you missed it. What? Yeah. What? It was advertised. You should have hopped in. <laughs> I'm mad now. I wanted to I think play Jackbox. I'll have to pick up the other packs, though, because I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit burnt out on, on number two. <laughs> Just playing Quiplash <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. You got you to gotta get whichever one has the rap battles. I don't, I don't know, know that one. There's Nick, new... have you played Jackbox anything? No. Do you know no. what it is? I guess we should talk about what it is. Uh, It's like 
party games, like party board game kind of thing, but instead it's on the computer. And Yeah, it's also on the console. So in the old days when you could have a, a gathering indoors of, you know, five or six people, you would put it on the TV and everyone logs in on their phone. There's like a link that go that says go to jackbox.tv and then you'll type in a four-letter code and everyone's in the same game and you're playing a game together on the TV, typing in answers and stuff from your phone. So it's a pretty good time and it's also cool that you don't have to be in the same room. So that's how it works for your stream, right? Yeah, and it's super accessible. Uh, you just need a screen, whether it's computer or mobile or anything. And uh, yeah, oh. it's, uh, it's, it's super fun. And we kind of let the uh, family filter kind of come off for, for one stream. And the, uh, the viewers like that quite a bit. So I wouldn't even need to purchase the game if you have. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when I would play it with my friends, it was definitely not well done at all. But my friends would essentially low quality stream their screen while we would all put the code in and we would be looking at a, a god awful like 480p <laughs> looking like jordan right now stream uh where you could barely see anything on the screen and then we would just try and make do with it so if you have a better setup it's definitely better but we made it work it's fun yeah, I think the developers are also like optimizing it for um, virtual play a little bit more these days. So, which is kind of fun. Cool. Yeah. It feels like so. Ben, what have you been up to? Uh well, since last week, I really I've just been playing some more board games with uh, Ashley, and then I've been reading. I've been reading a lot. Really what have you been reading? Um, so I went into Barnes and Noble with my dad when he was up here visiting. And I walked around and I take a bunch of photos of a bunch of different books. And I get samples sent to my Kindle and then I try them out. So I'm currently reading uh, this series called, oh God, I think it's called the, the Last Hour is the name of the series. And it's by the same author who wrote the Mortal Instruments series, which I think is, I mean, they made a movie out of one of the those books. But um, I finished the first book. I'm about halfway through the second book. I'm still reading. I'm very much behind, but I'm still reading the third Stormlight Archive book. Uh, so I need to finish that and then read the fourth one. But I've been getting back into reading a bit lately which is nice, especially because my free time might be coming to an end soon because I have three interviews next week with the company that I used to work at before they let me go due to COVID. So we'll see what happens next week, I guess. But that will probably tank all of my free time, which means I won't be reading as much. So yeah, that's really it. That's what I've been doing. And I'd like to make a small correction. You need to finish the third book, then read the novella for in between the third and fourth book and then read the fourth book. So just Essential. like, so I read, I think it was what edge dancer between two and three. So now there's a new novella between three and four. All I'm right. I'm sharp. I'll read I'm it. Oh, I have that through. I'm still only halfway through the first one. <laughs> well, I'm not spoiling anything, but my God, there's I, an edge dancer. 
My God, I love these books. I I I uh, just staying on this topic a little bit longer maybe than we should, but <laughs> the, no, the no, stay on it. This is my favorite series, and it's such a shame because I can't really recommend it to people uh, due to. I think a similar situation that maybe Jordan's in where like people just get stuck like halfway through the first book or the first book is such a bear to get through. It's like until super the last long. quarter of the book, at which point it builds up so much that I literally right. could not stop reading. And I the was end. up to like five in the morning finishing it. So it's yeah, like, the Sanderson avalanche is the phenomenon that they call it. It's just like, I can't in good, like, if, if I know someone really likes fantasy books, then I can say, like, okay, you you just need to get through, you know, three, four hundred pages. <laughs> then, Out of the twelve hundred? Yeah, and then and then it gets really good. Like, it's, I think, yeah. 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 I think it's, uh, it's not my first Sanderson book, and I think that's what's helping me, you know, because I, I know, I know the investment that I'm yes. making is going to pay off. But I, yeah. I, I would definitely agree with you, Nick. Um, if you wanted to start and so, sort of get a feel for his writing and his style, this is not where you want to start. This is where you want to eventually get yep. to for sure. But yep. uh, maybe I always Mistborn. recommend Mistborn. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. But I am waiting. Speaking of, I mean, Kickstarters are totally different, but I'm. I am waiting on my uh, limited edition leather bound signed copy of uh, Way of Kings that I got on Kickstarter that should be coming in soon. I actually have a poster uh, here. Wait, you guys talk. I'm going to go get it. Hot damn. It's got that merch too. Is this the same <laughs> book that he's talking about now? Yeah. Yeah. You have to Our talk person. at my second grade reading level so I know what's uh, <laughs> going on here. Hop on pop. Looks like a Toblerone over there. <laughs> we have to paint a clear picture in our viewers, our listeners' heads. Okay, so he's unrolling it. Oh, he's wow! To keep it down. It's a it's a Bridge Four poster. Wait, are there spoilers here? No, not really. I mean, well, maybe, but yes, but none of the viewers. <laughs> none, not for the viewers. None of what the about listeners. Jordan, <laughs> I, don't care. I, I would assume he's probably close to that or at that already, but. It's not really that big of a spoiler. Now we know what happens after Bridge Three. <laughs> but uh, really yeah, five. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, f- to be fair, you have no idea what Bridge Four is or does, so it's not really a spoiler. Just that there's a bridge number four. Now we know it does something. But yeah, it's a huge poster, and I still have more stuff coming. Like there's like enamel pins and <laughs> all sorts of crazy stuff that are coming in from this Kickstarter and I cannot wait for the rest of it to come in. That was my quick aside on Brandon Sanderson stuff. Have you guys looked into or purchased those like nice board game related or BGG, like the the BGG art prints. Yeah. Art prints things. They look, some of them look really cool. Some of them look okay, but it's also, I don't want art for any of those games. Right. So like if they did one for a game, I really liked then I would evaluate how much I like the art. But um, until that, it's just, you know, the I think the Root one looked cool, but I don't own Root. And I feel weird buying a poster for a game I don't own. Yeah, I look at it 
and I'm like, oh, I really like this. And I'm kind of in the same boat as Jonah. But even when I see a game I like. And then you see the price. <laughs> yeah. Why? Like, I, I feel bad because clearly they're, these are more like niche posters than what you would get on like allposters.com. But when I can go to like all posters and get a three by four poster for $15 and BGG's trying to charge me a three, a three foot by four foot, not a three okay. inch by four inch poster. Yeah. <laughs> um, and BGG's trying to charge ninety five dollars for a two foot by three foot poster. Like what? It yeah, nice. it kind of ruins my want to get any of them because they don't even. It's not like they come framed. I need to still go get them framed if framed I want to. Too. Yeah. So maybe. And I again, it's a it's a niche poster for a smaller audience with artists most likely from the board game industry. So like. I feel bad saying that because I know that they're not going to make as much, but if they like the poster in my head should be $15. <laughs> yeah. Is is it sort of like a, an Amazon situation where like all posters kind of, yeah. Okay. Okay. So kind of the, the BGG ones goes more directly to the artist or the, I would, as, I would assume so. I, it definitely is going to a smaller company as right. opposed to like a giant, conglomerate i guess of poster lords but and convenience is yeah. convenience is powerful yeah yep for sure but some of the art's pretty cool but the price keeps me away the i uh yeah i have yet to find a poster that i think my girlfriend would allow me to hang up <laughs> on the wall so anything board game or video game related or book related yet Yet to find it, but I do have my uh, Bob Ross Art of Chill uh, box <laughs> sitting on top of the calyx nice. that I have behind our couch. That's the couch <laughs> is hiding the actual large collection oh, of games. But Bob is Bob's one is featured. allowed to be seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm never, I'm never gonna hang this poster that I got from this Kickstarter ever. Like the poster was the most useless part of the reward for me. I'm never hanging that. It's weird, but like, I think it's weird. I don't have a place where it's not weird to put it is basically uh-huh. what I'm saying. You need a, um, a man cave. Yeah. Like a dedicated Oh yeah. In my three game. room home where one of them, it belongs to my brother. The other is a public space and the other's my room. So where a man I, cave where I hang discs <laughs> on my wall instead I'm not gonna put up a poster. It's weird. It feels like I'm back in college. Just uh, put it, hang it from the ceiling above your bed, so you can look at Hunky Kaladin <laughs> as you're falling asleep. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, well, in case you guys, in case you guys were wondering, and this will actually tie great into what's coming later. But my cousin is it who, about board games. <laughs> yeah, it's actually about D and D. It's actually about D and D. But my my cousin who joined us and then unjoined us after one session because he had to take care of his kid uh literally texted me and said my my character is kaladin (laughs) he's like fyi my character is kaladin i'm like okay and kaladin is uh, a character from uh the stormlight archive so yeah back to board games though (laughs) yeah Let's unless you with... want to, unless you want to tell us what you did this week, Jonah. Oh, yeah, what did I do this week? I didn't get asked that question. Well, now you did. Life as the host, I guess. Save the best for last. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, 
what have I done this past week? Uh, it looks like the age of snow is over, which is great. Uh, that being said, I did just put in an order for 50, 50 pound bags of salt, just in case. So I'll go and get that on Monday. Um, but yeah, not a whole lot. Just uh, looking forward, trying to make some summer plans, trying to make some where we're going to live next plans. It's looking quite likely that we're going to be ending up in Boston next. Uh, we had hoped to be elsewhere, but it looks like we're going to be there. So we are shifting our mind states to excitement instead of disappointment. So yep, yeah, looking at cool stuff to do in Boston, looking at places to spend all of our money just so we can have a bed in boston uh rent is expensive in boston just move between all the mattress firms yeah that's what's gonna have to happen i guess um so yeah uh i think we're gonna do some traveling this summer so we are planning that out now we have some weddings this summer that we are doing uh some traveling around one of those weddings is for one of the guests on the show and uh nick congratulations i didn't know i totally forgot (laughs) oh my god i need to get a suit (laughs) yeah it ain't me well that leaves one of us the secret's out (laughs) uh so yeah just uh kind of looking towards the summer and trying to enjoy a few months off where you can't really do the traveling that you would want to do so yeah, and uh, another thing I did was play some board games. So let's uh, talk about that. Bringing it back. I'm going to start with my fun game night with Nick and not Jake. Uh, so we had plans to play. I don't even know. What did we have plans to play? First, it was Chinatown. If okay. we could get four people. And then we had three people. So the plan was... Uh, something different. <laughs> and uh, as everyone can see, these plans fell apart as well as they were made. Um, so Jake was running late. So Nick and I were going to just play something. In the meantime, we played Battle Line, the Reiner Knizia game where there are 60 cards. It's uh, six colors, numbered one through 10. And you just try and make some stacks of cards in front of some flags to take control it's a hard game to describe and it's a hard game to play because you have to sit and think about what you want to do when you don't want to do anything but uh yeah i still think it's a really neat game i always need a rules refresher when we play even though it's like one page of rules but yeah nick beat me five flags to one it's just who can get five flags or who can get three flags in a row. Perfect. Well done. It's a, a very difficult game for me because I'm really bad at keep. You have to keep track of so much information because you, you have to like know what cards have been played of what different colors in order to. But it's all in front of you. You don't have to right. mentally keep track. Of right, it, right, right, right. Which is it's important. Ju- it's just like, oh, can I where can I play this card or can I even play this card? Cause it'll, and then I need to like scan the board again because I've already forgotten everything that's been played. Um, Right. And because you can in the, with the flags, you can claim a flag. If you can prove with all of the cards face up on the table already 
that you have something that is not beatable. So that's the tracking that has to be done. Anyway, that was Battle Line. Uh, if you don't have AP, like Nick and I do, you could probably play a game of it in 15 minutes. But we always manage to make it take half an hour, which still isn't a long time, so it's fine. Well, I watched your plans collapse in real time when it was the time, it was 7 p.m., which is when your game was supposed to start. And Jake is like, hey, guys, I'm an hour away from home. <laughs> and, yeah. then I w- and then I followed the saga closely. It was great. He, he so. offered to play. <laughs> he was like, yeah, maybe if we just play a game on Board Game Arena, I can play on my phone while I'm biking home. <laughs> and it's just like, what? He called in on Discord and he was biking and... Was... He was just like listening to us play as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a true student of the game, of the hobby. It's just like, yeah, I'll oh, be back man. in 45 minutes and then I can really, you know, concentrate then. But <laughs> until then, I'll just be on my bike. It's just like, Jake, yeah. it's your turn. You just hear the microphone. Is, ah, ah, I'll play my card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jake wasn't a part of it while I was there. And then Nick and I played Codenames Duet which is the two-player version of Codenames. There's Codenames, there's Codenames Pictures, there's Codenames Marvel, Codenames Disney, Disney, Codenames Adults, there are a million Codenames. This was a two-player game. I had not played it before. I should have asked for some rules clarification at the start, because I didn't realize how some of the things worked. But yeah, it was good. Nick and I are not on the same wavelength, but <laughs> it was fun. I'm... I've I have the game and I've played it with my girlfriend and and I'm notoriously horrible at making clues. That just that creative coming up with some connection between the words that don't have any like literal or like straightforward connection. I can't I can't do it. Did I ever tell you the worst clue I ever gave in Codenames, aka the best clue I ever gave gave in Codenames? The uh-huh. The two words that I had to connect were penguin and I think cashew or cashews. And my clue was clack because the penguin's beak clacks and the nuts <laughs> clack if you put your hands in there. Oh my god. I could see it. No one wow. guessed it. <laughs> That's nuts. Nice. I see what you did there. Well joked, Ben. Well Thanks. joked. Uh, and then Nick, you played something with Jake, did you? Oh yeah, and then we played Star Realms, uh, drafting game, brother slash sister to Hero Realms. Uh, I guess I could just say Cousins. sibling, cousins. Yeah, <laughs> same game, different skin. <laughs> so maybe, maybe more like a twin, uh, non non identical. Um, yeah, and Jake is good at it, and realizes which cards are worth drafting and uh he basically won it within like the first four rounds or so he just got two of the base cards like the ones that are permanent in front of you that he basically was able to do more on his turns than i was um he's a card shark and uh and i lost and it was (laughs) it was a 20 minute i just just 20 minutes of me knowing I'm going to lose. and uh, It was still fun, though. I like it. I, I have Hero Realms and enjoy Hero Realms, so I just kind of forgot how <laughs> how the game worked and what was good. It's fun to lose, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's still that's a mark of yeah, uh, at least because I don't think I really like any other card drafting games or like pure. I don't know if you'd call that a pure drafting game, but that was uh yeah. I just like the combos that you can make, and it's really simple and not too much thinking, and it's just really snappy. Even though it took 20 minutes, I mean, uh, the turns go by really quick. Did you play anything else this week? No, I... Uh, oh, yeah, I've got my two games of Clans of Caledonia on Board Game Arena still <laughs> running. I think I've done about seven... No, six. Six, uh, like long turn games where you just have to make like two two moves a day um and then just play full games like that and uh yeah it's good it's just really hard to stay consistent because you have to do it every day like you can't even take weekends off which is kind of not fun <laughs> just because then it feels like work it's like i look at i see the email notification uh when i look at my phone on saturday mornings and i'm like oh i gotta <laughs> i have to get on my computer by nine and start just make my move and but it's are you playing it. against are you playing against other people uh-huh yep. so do they can they not make can they not take their turn until you do right yeah, so oh it's <laughs> yeah. it's like chess by email. You have to wait for everyone else to do their stuff before you can do your turn. Uh-huh. It's like my virtual werewolf game, which I'll talk about when it gets to me. Well, that was all I've done. So please, yeah, great ben. segue, Ben. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I'm still I'm still alive in my virtual werewolf game. So uh, as I mentioned, I think last week I had just started it. Um, Oh, God, what day was it? On the 27th of February uh, was day one. Yes. And um, basically, we're all playing on Discord. So it's a bunch of people playing Werewolf, and we're all typing in chat. So it's not even like a one-day, everybody-get-in-on-voice-chat Werewolf game. And they're all themed. So again, this one is Star Wars-themed. I'm pretty sure I got screwed by a moderator. Um because it is currently day five. We just eliminated a wolf last night, which is, or during the day yesterday, which is great. So we're now in the day, or we're in the fifth night phase, I guess you could say. And my power as Yoda is I get, because I'm Yoda, I am, I get a totem that I can push onto any other player at night. And that does something to them. But I don't know what the totem is until that night. So it's random. So again, the first night was rough because they gave me the death totem. So I had almost no information. And whoever I gave the totem to was going to die. Um, which is like the worst thing to get on night one. Yeah, Jonah, go ahead. Is it a different type of totem each night? That yeah. you don't know what it does? Yep. Oh, I thought it would just be a totem that you push to people and then you have to figure out what it does by pushing it to people over multiple nights. No, they tell me what it is at the start of each night phase. So I know what it does, but I don't know until the night phase what it does. So basically during the day, I'm telling people, I have no idea what I'm going to be able to do tonight. It's like right before he pushes it, that's when he finds out. Yep. So at the start of the night phase, I private message, I have a private chat with the moderators. 
and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for my night action. And they're like, okay, tonight, this is your totem. And then I can, and they're like, who do you want to give it to? So the first night they were like, here's the death totem, which I'm pretty (laughs) sure they had planned from the start because why wouldn't they? Just so happened that I pushed it onto the person the wolves killed that night. So we got really lucky, Um, really lucky. Uh, luckily nobody suspected me of anything because I didn't say until like day four what my first totem was because I'm like I'm gonna get screwed if I do my current totem is the influence totem so whoever has it their vote counts twice I gave it to myself because I know I'm town um so yeah that's good um then the last totem was the impatience totem so whoever I gave that to votes for everybody has counted as voted voting for everyone except themselves. Um, I pushed that one to the person that we had all agreed to kick out of the town for the night to not let them do their action because I didn't want a town member to have a vote against them to allow the wolves to gang up and vote a town out just because I gave someone a totem. So, And do you have to push it every night? Yes. Okay. So certain ones I push to myself, like if I find it too dangerous... Um, the dumbest one that I've gotten so far, and to be fair, some of these, like, I think a lot of these totems are pretty stupid, to be honest. (laughs) Um, but I got like night two, I think I got the desperation totem. So if the person who the, who has the totem ends up being voted off during the day, the final person who voted for them is also killed. So I gave that to myself because nobody was voting it for me. I was pretty safe and it, it didn't make sense. Because there was no way that I could virtually, without being there in person, manipulate somebody to be the last vote. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so in my head, I'm like, what's the point of this totem? Like, it doesn't make much sense. But I don't know. It's interesting to see what happens. And so what happened was where I got screwed by the mods was the the second night phase. Uh, yeah, night phase three. I was given the protection totem and I was told, and I quote, this person will be protected against any way of dying during this next phase, day or night. Who would you like to give it to? And I gave it to someone who we 100% confirmed to be town at that point, based on like someone else's power. We wake up the next morning, they're told they have a totem. So the town doesn't know what the totem does. I'm still the only one who knows. They're just told they have a totem. So I'm like, oh, nobody protect this guy. He's 100% safe. And he's like, oh, so I was captured last night. And if I don't escape, I'm killed. But they told me that I successfully gave the totem to this person. And then the next thing they next thing I know, he dies anyway. Like we wake up the next morning. He's dead anyway. Uh, They were like, he couldn't escape capture. He's dead. And I I messaged the mods. I'm like, wait, I thought that I was protecting someone against any way of dying. And they're like, "Uh, let's see. They said. Unfortunately, can't tell you why the protection totem didn't work without revealing things about the game you don't know. And then they said, oh, wait, I can. I should have been more specific. The protection totem is specifically for wolf kill or voting out. Yikes. So I'm like, so I was, so again, I don't think anybody listens to this, but like from the game, but (laughs) my, my friend from college who invited me to the group is private messaging he's dead right now he's private messaging me on instagram using a ouija board no well actually he is he his power is he's obi-wan so he can give he can give one letter each day phase to the town jordan because he's dead and he's messaging him 
Yeah, I know, but did you know that, or did you just... No, no, I knew that was his power. He's not giving it to me <laughs> privately. We we get told what everybody's role and power is when, when they die. So he got himself voted off day two so that he could help us. But he's messaging me on the side. He's like, oh, you're not going to... You're going to love when you get to see the dead chat, because, like, there's a whole chat for the dead people. Because I'm, I'm guessing that everyone went off because the mods probably said in there, oops, we messed up. Or something. I don't know. I'm really excited to see what happened because they literally told me any way of dying, and then they're like, "Ooh, wait, no." I'm like, "Oh my god." It's a little bit. Um, I thought. I thought initially it would. My first inclination was like, "Oh, maybe it's an order of operations thing." Like maybe that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, first, and then the totem. That's what I said, and they did say afterwards, which I think they were trying to backtrack, but they were like, "Yeah, the 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 capture did happen early." And I'm like, okay, but it still says any way of dying day or night. Um, so I don't know. I was confused. But yeah, my totem tonight is going to give me the power of two votes. And what was hilarious was the letter that was given to us by my friend. And then I'm going to be done with this chat because it's going on for a bit. But um, the letter given to us was H. And there are four players with H's in their names somewhere. But only one of them has an H at the start of like a proper n- part of their name. Uh, and this guy comes in guns blazing and is like, oh, it's definitely this person, username Deb the Deb, because there's an H in the middle of her work, in, in the middle of her name. And me and another guy are like, bro, don't even start this. And he's like, well, the first night he gave the first letter of the first name. The second time he gave the first letter of the last name. So it makes sense that this one's in the middle. That's some bad logic right there. That's a guilty person's logic. And we're like, this is the most ridiculous. And it still took us almost 24 hours to vote this idiot out. Not that he's actually an idiot. He was playing it pretty smart. But like, that was the just the dumbest reasoning I've ever heard. I wonder if he pulled a muscle stretching that far. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. But we finally voted him out. And I kind of feel bad for him because he was, a, he was a, um, a stormtrooper. So he was a wolf, but he's not in the wolf chat. So he has no idea what they're planning. <laughs> he's just evil. <laughs> Oh, that's rough. <laughs> Which is just rough. Uh, but aside from that, I played an, the second scenario of Gloomhaven yesterday. Um, this one, as I mentioned, it kind of builds on itself. This one added looting and monster-specific initiative values and actions, um, which was pretty cool. Uh, we ended up winning that scenario, con- collected our loot and stuff, and it was a good time. So now the item shop is open so we can buy fun fun items and we played a bunch of games of crokinole as well and crokinole is always fun so that's what i've played lately so you're and also the game we played on monday did we play a game on monday public market oh my god how did i forget it's been so long yeah public market but i'll let you go over that and i'll voice my thoughts when when you bring that up because i think okay jordan you want to talk about some games before i bring it up yeah yeah very quickly uh i don't know if it was last week or maybe a week and a half ago I played Tokyo Metro with Jonah, Nick, and oh, right. uh, I forget our other friend's name at the time. I actually haven't met him. So um, it was my first playthrough. Got the W somehow, some way. Um, I, I definitely struggle with um, that type of game, but I, I really wanted to try it. Uh, having been to Tokyo, which was kind of cool to see to see that um i thought the game looked very pretty as well that that usually moves the yardstick for me wanting to <laughs> to try a game 
Um, interesting, interesting concept. I, I really liked it. I know you guys have talked it, about it at length on, this, on the, the show, so won't get into it too much, but it was fun. Um, tried to play Settlers of Catan with my wife's family uh, since she had never played it before, but they're moving in two weeks and had it already packed up, so... Um, which is kind of unfortunate. I really wanted to teach her how to play, but uh, we instead just um, fired off a game of Pandemic. It was their first time, their, her family's first time playing that. So um, it was okay. We got demolished. But uh, when you don't pick the Medic, honestly, when you don't pick the Medic, it's, it's rough. What does the Medic do? Are they the one that can pull three cubes with one action? Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm sad that I know that. <laughs> and you you didn't do too much uh, quarterbacking, Jordan. No, yeah, that's so. I, I do find in some co-op games when you're teaching someone, yeah, that can be an issue. Um, but uh, no, but they they really it. wanted to try to use their like powers as much as possible, and I was trying to tell them that there's definitely like a time and place, not like an every turn kind of deal. Right, it's like I can move your pawn to my pawn, so I'm just going to move you over here because I can. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, I was I was cleaning up over there, but but thanks. And then the last thing I uh, played yesterday, my mom taught me a new card game of all people, which is kind Sweet. of funny. Golf seems it's not golf Cabo. is the same as Keister, isn't it? It's or it's Cabo. It's similar. Similar, yeah. You just have a three by three grid of cards. And you turn by turn, try to get the lowest score. Ace is one, two is minus two, king is zero. Three to nine are your normal scores. And then 10 and face cards are 10. Jokers are free. So if you have a joker in a row, the rest of the row is zero. Um, Yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory, very quick games. You play nine rounds because it's like nine holes of golf and... Uh, yeah, that's about it. Sounds fun. There was a post on the board game subreddit last week. Someone said, I designed and printed my own board game during the pandemic. And it's this game called Archduke that has this really nice art. It looks awesome, like really cool modern art. Like, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, what's the modern internet art called with uh, like synthwave or cyberwave or what's it called isn't like, it called synthwave maybe is are you like talking about like that's are you talking about that rocket league level that looks like it's all like sunset overdrive or whatever i don't know yeah, what it's called that's synthwave, yeah, yeah it's yeah it's synthwave anyway so it it's really nice art this person's a graphic designer and they're talking about how they designed and printed this game and someone's like, what's the game about? And he starts describing it. And it is Creeps of Keister Island to a T. It is the exact <laughs> game, which is fine. But on Creeps of Keister Island, on the box, it says a Cabo-style game. So, you know, they're saying this is this game that everyone knows. We just dress it up with some art. But then this guy's game makes no mention of that at all. It's like <laughs> if someone just made a really pretty art and it was, you know, can you get to 21 and not go over and beat the person handing out the cards? It's like, okay, that's blackjack. Just say <laughs> it's blackjack. Sell it as fancy blackjack. But don't just 
I don't know. I thought it was really strange because tons of people commented on this post and they're like, oh, it's just like this game. Didn't respond to any of those comments. He responded to all the other ones. I want to read this thread when we're done. Shameless. But hey, capitalism. Uh, Just going back to Jordan and playing board games with families. This is something that I've been trying to think about recently because I've had (laughs) two, two big flops uh, when trying to introduce games to my parents, uh, they did not like Skull, Skull and Roses, whatever you want to call it. My mom just didn't, <laughs> she didn't get the point of it. She like, she understood the rules and everything, but it was just like, because the, the game can be as simple as you want it to be. And then like, if you want to think things through, then you can. But if not, you can just like, play whatever card you want from your hand and then just participate and have fun right right yeah and then she was just like but i don't it just feels like i'm arbitrarily playing stuff and then uh and what was the other one there was uh oh yeah i played uh was it cockroach poker no but that's one i want to try um but the other one was a charades game that i can't remember anyways (laughs) No, but it's, you know, similar. Not just one. Anyways, uh, uh, they didn't like that one either because there was a timer and you had to give a thing. You had to go through them in like 30 seconds and everyone just got stressed out. Um, But yeah, have you guys had like games that your parents just like actually enjoyed the first time playing through or like other people you know's parents that enjoyed? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so for me, the one that seems to have been successful every time has been Silver and Gold. Um, it's very My grandmother easy. plays that. Yeah. It's and just, requests it. When, it's just so easy, so it, it kind of makes sense. And it is kind of fun, too, because, I mean, it's neat to, like, write on cards and stuff like that. So that's cool. Uh, and then one that was, actually, that was actually a success with my friend's family um was ticket to ride uh they'd never really played a ton of board games before but they really enjoyed it and my friend told me that after we played it and i came home like a week later they bought ticket to ride for themselves so yeah those are two success stories for me i guess that was that was my my success stories oh yeah you go jordan sorry Uh, oh sorry that was my choice as well i just wanted to is was ticket to ride so i'm glad you brought it up I've had success with Silver and Gold with Azul. Azul tends to work well. Azul has the same thing you just described with Skull, where you can really think about it, and you can also not think too hard about it. But what's great about Azul is even if you aren't thinking too hard about it, you're still trying to do something. So there aren't those arbitrary decisions that you might get in Skull like you were talking about. Um, Hanabi has actually worked really well just because it's such a novel idea for a lot of people to play a card game and not see their own hand of cards. It's really great for engagement as well, I think. I actually had the opposite experience with Hanabi. Um, People did really like the the idea of not looking at their cards, but um, they found it very difficult to wrap their head around working together and the clue system, um, which I thought was 
a little bit strange. Um, but uh, yeah, also very quickly, Azul is a weird anomaly to me because it I've never played, but it looks so bland and boring. And all I hear is that it's amazing and people love to play it. So it, I thought the I same thing. Yeah. Before I ever played it, I was like, this game looks bad. It looks like it's not fun. I don't know how anyone enjoys it. And then I played it and I was like, oh, okay, this is a really cool game. So it is. So we'll have to get you in on a game on that sometime. I think the pieces look delicious. They're definitely little starbursts. Just, uh, I have one quick family game story. Oh, geez, we still have to do public market. Okay, very quick family game story. Um, You guys have all played Avalon, right? Or at least Werewolves or whatever. Yes. Yes. Three nodding heads. Yeah, sorry, (laughs) it's weird. So, Everyone listening? Yes. (laughs) Exactly. I tried playing this with my dad, my stepmom, I think sister and stepbrothers, whatever. Anyway, so I was doing the narration. You know, everyone close your eyes, whatever, do this, do that. I said, everyone close your eyes. And then I said, bad people, open your eyes and look at each other. And my stepmom says, okay. (laughs) 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 And then we just all started laughing hysterically and we couldn't even get back into the game because she just said, okay, after that. That's oh boy. So yeah, Nick, uh, can be tricky to see what game is going to work with your family, mm-hmm. especially with wild cards like that. Anyway, final game played this week, and then we'll talk about our game of the week. Uh, we played a game of Public Market. Me, Ben, Jake, and Rich. This is a game that I have coming in from Kickstarter from like a year ago that I spoke to someone about at a board game convention December 2019, so forever ago now. Anyway, this game has some contract fulfillment, supposedly. Uh, Turn order manipulation, supposedly, and polyominoes in it. All things that I like and think are cool. Uh, So they taught us how to play this game, and then we played it. I think the teach could have been a little better. It's good that we read the rulebook in advance, but this... People tell me I'm a good teacher, so I'm going to say I'm a good teacher. Uh, I think I could have very comfortably taught this in 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, these guys said that they were the publishers, not the designers, which possibly has something to do with it. But it was a lot of jumping around and especially on tabletop. Yeah, especially on tabletop simulator when they're trying to demonstrate like where they are when he wasn't using tab to like put his little arrows down to show where anything was. So he was just like jumping around and was like, this does this. And then the other does the other publisher jumped in because there were two of them and was like, and then over here it does this. And what did this person miss? Did this and the rule book literally taught me the game and I don't like rule books. So this is a really I I would call it high praise for the rule book that I basically learned the game without the teach and could have also probably taught the game just from reading the rule book. And I hate reading rule books, so. Right, so we had a kind of rough teach, and there was there was even one thing that made absolutely no sense during the teach that the teacher insisted on. I was asking about, because you're catching fish, and you put them in your little icebox mm. with these polyominoes, and the teacher said that these fish get thrown away at the end of the turn. And I was saying, how do these get thrown away at the end of the turn? because you need these fish to fulfill these contracts. So it turns out what he meant was they get thrown out when you use 
them to fulfill these contracts. So that was a little sketchy. But yep. all of that aside, the game went reasonably well. Uh, there were some standard first play of the game hiccups, not understanding how things work, having a little bit extra analysis paralysis, trying to figure things out. Jake was telling me how you know the polyomino bit was a little AP, analysis paralysis inducing. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a pretty neat game. There were a couple bits of set collection, according to Ben, one bit of set collection, according to me. Uh, but I thought it was really cool. I like the engine building aspect of it where you can... So in this game, you're going fishing and trying to sell these fish to the market. And one thing that's cool is you can upgrade your fishing abilities, let's say, so you have a base amount of each fish at the start of each round, no matter what. So it's great because then, you know, you have five fish, you sell, let's say, five sardines. You sell those five sardines and you start the next round with two or three sardines. So you already have the fish that you need for a future contract. So I like that bit. That's from Space Base. That's where I know it from normally, originally. Um, and the polyominoes were neat as well. I like the fact that it wasn't just the standard Tetris shapes. It was kind of these janky, long, strange Tetris shapes. I don't know. There was, there were fun shapes. So yeah, I agree. The shapes were definitely more interesting than your traditional polyominoes. I thought. Mm-hmm. So I think there is some replayability in there with the different public market cards that could come out, the different contracts to be fulfilled. There are a few kind of strange things in the game because when you fulfill one of these contracts, you put a cube down in a spot to get those points or that benefit when you fulfill the contract. But then also one of the spots up there is getting you a scrap of fish. So you can put the cube there and then get that scrap and then use that to fulfill the contract that you needed to fulfill in order to put your cube there. It was kind of a weird which came first that didn't make sense while we played. And then at the end, it turned out that that scrap was to be used in the second one and not the first one. So there were a few things that didn't make sense in my head while we played. And I'm going to say that's why I got absolutely dead last. Yeah, I'll agree. I think that was a big part for you coming in last. Um, The game was somehow tighter than I expected. It ended with Rich and Jake both having 31 points, and I believe it was, was it Jake that won on a tiebreaker? Yeah. Because he went, like, more recently. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I think all tiebreakers are a little janky in board games. I think it's hard to come up with a good one. Um, I had 30 points, which I don't know how I got that close, and then Jonah had 17 points. So it was quite a difference. (laughs) Yeah. Um, For me... I thought the game was okay. I liked it. Um, I like how Jonah kind of mentioned before that. I thought there were a couple of set collection components um, on your polyomino board, your ice chest in this game, there are crabs um, and there's one crab on each of the ice chest boards. And if you can completely surround the crab with polyominoes, you get a little, crab meeple so i guess for the kickstarter for the game that comes in it's going to be a little crab meeple uh and if you collect 
one crab, it's one point, two crabs, three points, three, five, etc. It exponentially builds. Right. The In first my is head, one, the second is two, yep. the third is three. Yep. In my head, that's still set collection. I know it's not different sets, but I don't know what else to call that mechanic. So that was my second set collection component. But the actual set collection component was there were also catch of the day cards, which are these cards that basically display what a restaurant wants as opposed to fulfilling a contract. And they have these little symbols on the bottom and there are four symbols and you get points if you collect sets of symbols. Um, the big thing for me was this game was a bit overwhelming in in the amount of things they threw in because it felt like I was playing five different games at the same time because there was the contract fulfillment the set collection the polyominoes the turn order bidding it was like a lot of different mechanics from a bunch of game styles mashed into one Mm -hmm. i didn't think that they did it poorly i will say i personally think contract fulfillment is better when the contracts switch out when you have done them for sure um so i wasn't I wasn't a huge fan of the fact that the contracts remained the entire game. And I especially wasn't a huge fan. There's almost no rush to get the contracts fulfilled because you can place your cube wherever you want. So I wasn't a huge fan. And again, I could just be salty because Jake got like a card I wanted first. But I wasn't a huge fan of the fact that Jake was able to go fulfill a contract, drop his cube on the one point reward that allowed him to take one of the public or take one of the catch of the day cards, which is what I was going for. So I, in my head, it's like, you're the first one to the contract, put it on the, put the cube on the left, get the victory points. Like, so I couldn't kind of get, I got over it, but it was like weird to me that you could just place it somewhere to steal a reward from somebody who's coming behind you and take less points. But I guess there are other games with that option. So it just felt weird in this one. I don't know why. Um, But I thought the game was fun. I I definitely was surprised at how close most of the scores were. Um, And I do agree the idea where Jonah was saying where if you fulfill a contract to get a scrap of fish, it's a little bit odd to say, hey, I'm selling this fish to buy back a tiny piece of fish to fulfill another contract that's right down the road from you was a little weird. So, um, yeah, it was a little odd, but I liked it overall. Uh, okay, so what we are going to talk about this week in terms of the uh, overall game of the week, if you can call it a game of the week, because it was really a game of like eight months, uh, was our D&D campaign that I ran for everybody in this uh, current podcast episode and then a few other people. Um, and just to give a little bit of a backstory, this is my first time uh, dungeon mastering uh, a campaign. I have played role-playing games before. I've never played Dungeons & Dragons before. Uh, So this was a big step for me to try and do this. And it kind of just came to mind out of nowhere. In Florida, I was just coming up with ideas for potential like settings. And then I don't know how it came up, but someone in the group chat was like, oh, let's play D&D or something. And I'm like, okay, I'll DM it. And I came up with a campaign. Uh, set in a fictional world called Alanon that I got from a name generator and then created from there. Name generators have become my best friend uh, over the last eight eight or so months. 
Um, and we had originally a party of six, including Nick, Jonah, Jordan, Jordan's father, my cousin Jude, and Jude's father, who's my other cousin, I guess, because he's actually my... Because that's how family works. That's how family works. Uh, <laughs> but after the first session, um, my cousin Brian had to drop out to take care of his other child. Um, so he could not join for the rest, and it was five from then on. Uh, but... Yeah, I mean, I think maybe just like we do in D&D, I will let you guys kind of talk about what you did and then how you made me react to everything you did. And I'll react to everything you did while we're talking. Uh, I think Jordan should go first because Jordan, I think, has the most D&D experience out of all of us, right? Yeah, so I think the way that this game came up as well was my normal in-person group uh, basically deflated because of the current uh, world situation. <laughs> so um, I was still kind of looking to, to, to play a game. Um, I was dungeon mastering that previous game. So when Ben kind of offered uh, for me to jump in as a player character, it would my first time uh, on that side of the, the screen. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, that was a great pun since it was online as well. Oh, I didn't even consider that. That was 4K vision uh, looking ahead. Um, that doesn't even make sense. Okay, so <laughs> the, 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 honestly, like right off the hop, I thought, I was like, wow, we are a group of six? Like even like my previous game, we were only four and I thought that was a lot to manage. I was like, wow, this Ben guy, I was just still getting to know you. I was like, wow, he is, he, this is a big undertaking. Like I, I, I admire the, <laughs> the confidence in taking on six. Um, but unfortunately due to like, like life stuff, we, we didn't roll with the full six, but, um, Ben, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. That was, uh, it was a little bit daunting to, to start off with. Yeah, I was, I was really nervous. And then my other, my other uh, really good family friend was starting to get into D&D and texted me and was like, Hey, man, if you want another person, I'm like, No, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, six was scary for me. Um, and to be fair, to be fair, I had originally started with just you guys and your dad. And my cousin, I knew my little cousin had wanted to play D and D for like years and he's like 15. So he'd been, he literally like was messaging me one day and he's like, Oh, I have like characters planned out from like a year and a half ago that I want to try playing. And I have this one um, guy that shoots arrows at everything that I really want to try playing. <laughs> I, I don't even know if that was a prepared character. No, what he actually wanted to be was some sort of nut job, uh, multi-class like warlock monk person i'm like bro this is my first time (laughs) dming please just be normal for a minute uh and i was like that made me even more nervous but then he kind of he kind of settled down um and just became the shooty ranger guy um but yeah no it was definitely a nerve-wracking like start and I, even for that first session, I made myself like a script for like opening. Like I typed out a script. I was reading it off. And then after that, uh, I just kind of was winging it. But oh, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like that's what I, I find that especially for newer DMs and players alike, um, the 
official modules, you know, kind of take off a little bit of that stress. So, but, uh, and I think a lot of new players as well, um, because a lot of us, this was either our first or second game. So I consider us basically all, all new, you know, they come into a game, they're, they're expecting, uh, their whole backstory to be weaved into the narrative perfectly and have all these emotional, you know, encounters and all these things. And as the DM, I know Ben and I can kind of attest to this, like, and any, any DM listening out there, like it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. (laughs) It's my God to anticipate and to, make sure that things make sense, even though, you know, they, they won't. Um, and at the end of the day, the players don't even know, right? Like that they don't know what they don't know. And, um, it's, uh, it can be, it can be tough. The, just on the, like wanting to weave in backstory, um, or whatever. I just, I thought that was so funny because I, I had, you know, my whole backstory in front of me for that first session and was like, I reviewed it beforehand. And then, oh my God. <laughs> and then we're like, we're all meeting in the uh, adventures hall or whatever. <laughs> and I'm just like, hi, I'm Owen. I'm from this place. And I like literally Let me reading. tell you my story. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, who, when in actual life has anyone ever just... <laughs> introduce themselves and then just given their whole like backstory yeah, yeah let me then tell halfway you through i'm like okay maybe this is a bit much <laughs> maybe i can pull back well to be this in as again we go. i so what i tried to do beforehand and this is just based on my experience in the other role-playing games that patrick had run and i asked i had asked patrick a lot for like advice before i started and i think he was invaluable in helping me kind of like get this off the ground not in terms of like him actually planning things with me, but like the advice he gave me and just kind of learning from him from the games he had run. I asked you guys what you were hoping to get out of the campaign from the start, which I think, I mean, even if it didn't a hundred percent go that direction, it helped me a lot because it kind of made me realize I didn't need, I didn't need to add combat every single scenario. I didn't need to do this or that. Um, and I did ask for backstories and I swear to God, I had so many plans for incorporating most people's backstories. It just kind of like my big recommendation, if you're a first time DM and you're listening is keep it simple and don't come up with like 900 different plans before you start. Um, because that's kind of what I did. And I told you guys after the session, after the final session this week, like all of, all of these random plans that I had that didn't come out, but Nick, you were going to receive a letter pertaining to your dad being enslaved and how Mm -hmm. that was going to like continue that part of your backstory. Um, so I, I kind of made the story mostly centered on Jordan's character's backstory for now. And when that was moving forward enough, I was going to branch it out to other people's backstories. Um, but again, I, I kind of overdid it in my head and didn't get to that point. But uh, I do appreciate that you guys gave me like feedback and gave me backstories because it did help. Even if I didn't always use it, it definitely helped. Yeah, credit where credit is due. I mean, you yeah. did a fantastic job of incorporating what we had given you. 
And also our our session or our, our campaign, I guess I should say, did get cut a little bit shorter than what you were anticipating as well. So some things had to be kind of condensed. Um, and it, it, it is only natural to kind of follow one story until like organically the rest of the group can come to like care enough. Do you know what I mean? Like at the yep. beginning, you know, my, my father's character, he didn't really care about the, this, this demon that has, was, had risen from hell, but eventually, you know what I mean? You, you, you hope that through the trials yeah. and tribulations of the group that he will eventually come to, to care about that. Yeah. And I think just just personal reflection, because, I mean, usually you're your own harshest critic, but I think the whole reason that I brought you guys together was the absolute dumbest and worst thing that I did the entire campaign, because having a non-fleshed out continent and being like, yeah, guys, go explore. I'll give you money for finding towns was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. It was, it was fine like, for me. I thought it worked out well. We oh had my some really God. cool moments. I still remember the like the portal into the other place with the Stonehenge around us and what's through here and what's through there. Oh, you mean the portal that came out of nowhere because you guys were not going where I thought you were going to go and I thought it was just <laughs> going to be normal towns. And then, hey, let's jump into a giant hole in the ground. And then I literally came up with that on the fly. You don't know what you don't know, Ben. Yeah. There's, you... a re- there's a reason I cliffhangered that episode right when you jumped into the hole so that I could come up with something for the Stonehenge structure next the next session. <laughs> Yeah, give me two weeks. I'll get back to you. Um, yeah. Ben, did you did you find that because of that opening, did you find that the group, uh, and maybe Nick and Jordan, you can kind of attest to this as well. Did you find that the group kind of didn't have a, a solid, um, you know, driver, Direction. like a yeah, yeah. A driver of adventure, like at the beginning? Because, yeah, I see you nodding. Okay. Yeah, yeah 100%. Because I know... I know that as I was playing that character from the Adventurers Guild and trying to get you guys to go east, and I don't know why, I was just trying to get you like in a direction. Um, and the most terrifying thing that happened this entire campaign was Jonah saying, let's go south. Um, <laughs> first session. Because I I literally, yeah, first session, like first player spoken line was like, let's go south, pretty much. And I'm like, please don't go south. I had no map for south. I had nothing. Literally, I put you guys on the bottom of the map. So future reference, future notes to myself, start people kind of in the middle so they can go in any direction. Um, but yeah, I definitely think um, like they're just saying go out and explore. It doesn't, I feel like for a first session, I should have had something better planned to actually push you in a direction and then you go out and explore, um, which is probably I see now why people are like, oh, you're hired to look for this missing person as opposed to just saying like, go do things. Yeah. It's a little bit more direct, so, a little bit more yeah. concrete. Yeah. yeah. I, I did feel that as, a, as the player as well. So that, that checks. Yep. Checks yep. Out. The, I just, yeah, I would be interested to see what it's like playing one of the, uh, you know, stories that they've already written. What are those called? The, yeah i mean i have i have the starter set and i would love to i would run that because i tried running that for some of my other friends and they didn't really know how to play D &D, and one of them like didn't have their attention held the whole time and it kind of turned into like a crap show but i would love to run one of those if you wanted to try it again at some point 
but yeah. having that direction would be cool. Right, because I know I've read a lot online about people not wanting to be railroaded, or you know, the it's, uh, railroading is seen as this evil thing. But especially for newer players, I'm sure it would be like super helpful because yeah, that first like first two sessions, I'm just like I don't know what to do. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's like a an RPG that you're playing and like a video game RPG and there's no main story quest and you're just like, <laughs> which, you know, is actually kind of fine because side quests are often the best part of video game RPGs anyways. So, Yeah, it's kind of like what we were talking about with different uh, player powers in board games. I don't want to pull us away from D&D really, but, you know, with the different player powers in board games, like we said last week, if you don't know what to do in the game, you at least know what your person does well, and you can try and do that well. So yeah, the railroading, I think, is frowned upon for like later in the campaign, maybe, when everyone really has their feet under them, and they know what to do, and they know what they want to do. Because, you know, then if you try and do something, the D&D's like, no, the, not the D&D, the DM's <laughs> like, no, you can't do that, we have to go over here, then it feels bad. But definitely, at the beginning of a campaign with new players, it's it's perfect because then it's like okay here's our goal how do we achieve it so it I really think, helps yeah and i think yeah. the idea of, go ahead jordan sorry um online uh no that's fine talking um <laughs> i think the idea of real rolling too helps with like jonah you saying that um eventually when it gets to the point that the, the players will want to go out and do do whatever i think your hope is that if your story is strong enough and, and you know, your characters uh, are fleshed out and the world has X, Y, Z, all the necessary bits and bobs, you hope that your players will naturally care enough about what they are set out to do, right? Like what the player character built that character to do um, or be pushed onto them, right? Like, if I have a, I have my parents that live in, in the town, you know, and then the next continent over, um, and I get word that they've been kidnapped, like I'm thrust into, into that action, right? Like, ideally, my player character would feel very strongly about that and try to take action. Um, and that just kind of pushes things in a direction without the player characters even really know that they're being railroaded in, uh, in a way. So what are you gonna say, Ben? No, I was basically going to make the same points and say, you know, late, later in the campaign, I, I did let you guys kind of run free and I did kind of railroad Jude a little bit because his imagination kind of took hold at moments. Crazy. He would, I mean, man, I mean, players out there, if you have questions or you're trying to figure <laughs> out what, just a, just a suggestion, because it's a little bit rough on the DM and other players. Um, but I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because he's 15. If you are, if you have questions about what you can do, try to do it and the DM will decide. But there was a moment that I was asked probably for a solid 10 plus minutes, whether or not there were options that he could do. And I'm like trying to, I'm trying to say, try it and see if it works. And at one point I was just like, look, do it and I'll tell you, but stop asking. And I felt bad, but I also felt bad for you guys because I can visually see you guys and I'm like, this is too much. So, 
you know, in certain cases, I did pick up on bits and railroad it a little bit, but I tried to let you do whatever you wanted to do and kind of step back and react to it. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of this game is just try it and see what happens. Like, you know, don't, don't think, don't try to think about every single option because the, the, the available, like the options are, are too vast. Like there's just, you know what I mean? Um, uh, but, but yeah, it, it can be tough when you start every round of, of combat with, okay, so I have a question. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he was too funny. Yep. So hypothetical. And, and combat, combat itself and I know that D&D combat is slow and kind of plotting in itself online even more so. And I think at one point I tried to reduce the combat a little bit and do more adventuring stuff because I felt like online it was very slow. Mm-hmm. But there's still most of the time going to be combat in D&D and things are going to be resolved with fighting. So... I mean, I knew that the final battle was going to be a battle, but up until then, I was trying to like get storyline bits across because I know that battles can be slow, but I didn't realize how slow they can be until running the game. Uh, I guess that's what the unrealistic ideal of critical role puts in your mind where all these people know what they want to do before it gets to them and they're going to do this and going to do that the DM knows every legendary action that a creature has and can think right off the bat and all that stuff. Meanwhile, I'm over here like with notes in front of me. I'm like, okay, minus this many health points. Uh, let me roll this. Uh, what's the strength? Uh, what's the die roll? And it's like, Oh my God, it's yeah, a lot. It's... So I saw yesterday that this, uh, this DM who does stuff on Twitch now, his 18 year campaign or like this world that he's built up over 18 years and he's had several campaigns in there. It's finally over. And there are all these people commenting, talking about how he's, you know, he started making this world like 20 years ago and 18 years ago, he started, you know, hosting other people in this and he's done so many campaigns and he does a bunch of it on Twitch and people are like, yeah. So after 18 years, he's going to take a month off. And I'm like, uh, maybe it takes some more time off, buddy. Yeah. So yeah, there are some serious expert DMs out there who live and breathe this, and I think it is definitely unfair to expect your DM to know absolutely everything that every person does and can do. And yeah, and and your group to mesh as well as a group of friends that have been together for you know ten, fifteen years. Um, and I think yep. Jonah, you experienced this a little bit as well is uh through a screen it's way different it's a completely different yeah. game than around the table um and i'm sure you guys can and everyone listening can attest to board games as well in that same fashion but it's particularly so in a tabletop role-playing game because there is that like social emotional cognitive aspect uh that that plays out very heavily in a lot of people's enjoyment of the game like a lot of people can run a whole session with just you know talking in a tavern or what have you yep yeah i definitely agree uh one thing that i've been saying for a while i guess since the pandemic started 
is that I'm not a big fan of playing board games online that exist above the table. So that is to say that, you know, it's not just the stuff happening. It's the, the talking, the social aspect of it. It's not just, you know, in a lot of board games, you can look at the board and see what happens. But in some games, a lot of it is the interpersonal aspects that you don't see. And so like QE is this um, bidding game that we really like that everyone has an infinite amount of money and it's fun and all that. But online, it's just like a slowed down, unfun event. And, you know, I've been trying to avoid those games online because I really, I don't like that part. I, you know, I'm playing these other games online because it's giving me my fix for these board games I can't play in person, but there's a type that I don't really enjoy online. And D&D is exclusively that aspect of the hobby. It's the interpersonal part. It's the, you know, messing around with your friends, seeing where things go, seeing what can happen. And yeah, it definitely is way different over a screen than in person. Yeah, and not not to not to toot my own horn, which is not uh, a knock on Ben. Ben did a great job. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. We'll keep repeating that throughout. <laughs> um, and again, not to not to toot my own horn, but I did at one point watch. So I had watched a video, and I've wanted to try it for so long, which is why I eventually did it uh, in this campaign. But I'd watched a video where someone was going through cool ways to spice up a D&D game with physical props and things. And I know that there are handouts and like sometimes people get handed a map. But like this video that I watched was like, oh, the, the players need to pick from three different drinks and one of them is poison. And I had given them hints. And if you look at the drinks with a black light, the poison one like lights up. And I'm like, that is so freaking cool. So I was like trying to think of ways almost the whole time that I could. And I didn't watch this right before I had sent letters out. But I was trying to think of ways that I could incorporate some physicality to the game because we weren't all together. And I started with Jonah because he's in New Jersey. So I could hand him a letter and I didn't need to mail it. And I knew he had a black light and he's from also playing disco. dumb as rocks. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I was going to say was... Uh, very luckily, the session that you ended up stopping playing, luckily, I gave you this letter right before that, like, you were able to open it in the last session, and it was not a, hey, you're leaving, open the letter now. It was right. like a natural uh, letter opening, and the best part was that that was the letter that pushed it to the end game. so if you didn't open it, it would have been a nightmare. Um, but basically, what I did was I... I had so I know that I've discussed in the past that I've started to get into like fountain pens and all that crazy stuff. And I saw people posting online about like invisible inks uh, on like the fountain pen subreddit. And I was like, oh my God, I can use this. And I'm like, hoo, 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 DM brain. Uh, so I was like writing hidden notes. So I wrote like this whole poem. And it's I a basically. Great poem too. Yeah, it took me like two days to write it, but it was fun. I had a good time writing it and it was um, it basically was like one of those whole like look at the capitalized words and uh, yeah I noticed that it. too it was light and then black but I was too dumb to rearrange the order of these two words to make it black light <laughs> yeah 
And I didn't know if anybody else in this group owned a blacklight, but I knew Jonah did because we play glow disc golf together occasionally. So I sent that to Jonah. And what's neat is the ink is invisible until it's under a blacklight. So I actually had to write this secret note under a blacklight so I could see what I was doing. But I sent it to Jonah. He opened it on camera and shined a blacklight on it. And it directed the players like where to go next, which was neat. And I had planned to send letters to like every player with some bit of extrapolate or what is it? Um, some bit of story that was going to like move them forward with their backstories. Um, and unfortunately exposition, that was the word I was looking for. And I was going to send that to like all the players. Um, but Jonah was the only one who really got to open it in game. Although I did let Jude open his letter, which uh, Jonah, you missed it, but his letter was basically a letter from one of the bad people saying that they were holding his father captive because as I said, no, it definitely was not Santa. Um, And I used like blood red ink and dropped like blood splatters on it. And I said, the letter was like written with the blood of the character. So it, yeah. So it like left that potential open for like another game for him, I guess in this universe. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to incorporate physical things because the, the wholly digital aspect of the game was like good, but I wanted to incorporate some physicality. One thing that I really enjoyed about the campaign was how great the three of you are at voices. Cause I am not good at any of that. And you guys like really got into it and it was great. Jordan had a great voice. Nick had a great, uh, I just went deeper. Grungy. <laughs> wait, wait, voice. we got to hear him. Oh no, no. Yes, yes, no. yes, yes. That's weird. It's that's, weird now. Uh, behind our Patreon, it doesn't exist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about with me, though. I'm awful at voices. Well, I enjoyed it. I didn't even do a voice half yeah, the did. time. Well, oh, the maybe. other half you did. Okay. So that was really know. cool. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I agree. I think you guys did a great job with voices and getting into character. And even Jonah, not using voices, but you were a charismatic character and you tried to talk your way out of every fight. So I appreciated that you were at least getting into that role, which was cool. Of course. And you played bagpipes as a bard, which is a nightmare. Yeah. Uh-huh. For Have some fun. Yeah. yeah. I, the, uh, doing the voice actually helped a lot with like getting my improv juices flowing. I think like it totally just, it just like, put me one step closer like my brain working to like actually like i i never actually felt like i was the character um i think i was too i was trying to be silly a lot of the time and i don't know if my character necessarily would have been but yeah doing the voice was actually pretty good at like transitioning from like my normal daytime brain to dnd brain to your animal brain <laughs> yeah I, I think it, I don't think voices are necessary by any means. Like a lot of, I know a lot of people feel uncomfortable doing them, but it definitely tricks your mind enough into getting into that role and getting into that character. And it's infectious, right? Like I know with my group around the table, uh, I was everyone's first time playing and I, as the DM, like set the tone right out the gate like the first character i did was just 
like super wacky, like way off the wall. And they were all caught off guard. And I think they quickly realized like, oh, you know, it's like normal to do this when we're sitting around the table. So I'm not going to be like judged or, or something. Cause I know a lot of people uh, can feel like that, but um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a whole part of the game that um, it's one of those things that the more you put in, the more you'll get out. That's kind of how I feel. Um, but it's by far, or yeah, yeah by far agree. not necessary at all. Um, we still had a fantastic game, even though, you know, half the, the crew um, were just talking normally. So, uh, man, it, you can it, yep. you can get a, you can go a long way with even just like tone and inflection. Yep, yep, I agree. It was uh, I tried to start it off with a voice. And then I realized I can't really do a woman's voice. So I was basically just talking like this. There it is. And it was it was really weird to do this for like a, a solid bit of the session. I'm like, I sound like an old librarian. I'm like, it's, I was like, oh, my I'm like, oh, my God, I can't I can't do it. But I tried. Um, and I mean, we kind of went from there uh, and it was fun. I threw in a voice or two here and there. I never thought I was all that good at it, but I tried. Um, because I do think that's part of it. And like Nick said, I think it helps with the, the improv juices, which I definitely needed with you guys. Uh, But, uh, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Just on the topic of, uh, silly voices, especially, or just being silly versus being serious and that relating to the character. There were a few times where I like tried to be my character a bit more and tried to be like darker because he 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 didn't have like a super dark past but he was like oh i'm a druid and i hate civilization because uh uh, my mom died from some people blah 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 anyways i think it's a pretty typical druid backstory after having looked online a bit but there was one time where i like tried to be dark and was like a wolf and was (laughs) disemboweling somebody and like going into graphic detail because they had something something and then i was just like oh, this is weird <laughs> this is i don't think it was the tone of the normal thing and there were some times where i tried to be serious and it just felt a bit odd and i thought maybe that was how my character would be more but then i was just like but is that how i want to be as my character and meh. it's it's also possible that it only felt awkward because i was kind of making the some situations like into small jokes or silly. So I had probably the most fun coming up with NPCs and like location names and things like that. Um, That's always been something that I've enjoyed um, in any RPG I play. I like coming up with the names of people and things. And so like I was coming up with like stupid tavern names and stupid character names. Like I named one guy Pazinus just for fun, um, which is like just a ridiculous name. And I thought you guys would laugh more and you didn't, which is fine. <laughs> but like, I, I think I made some of the situation situations light. So having like a super serious character all the time didn't necessarily fit the world I was also building, which could be on me a little bit as well. But it just wasn't fun. I, I would prefer having fun and being having fun for me was being silly. was messing around. Yeah. That's why I chose a bard because I knew I was going to try and do dumb stuff the whole time. So why not yep. choose a character that always does that? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Nick, you might even like prefer a game where your whole party is like uh, a group of goblins, for example, and you're all just kind of little ratty, nasty. <laughs> <laughs> this man hates goblins. Little creatures running <laughs> yeah. around and something. Else. So it, it definitely, yeah, it definitely sets the tone for, for the characters for sure. Yep. I think because I, 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 I walked out on the part where you were talking about combat. I'm sorry, but I found I... T- I hate D&D combat. It is, like, probably... It's bad for me, personally. I don't like it. I would rather just play, like, Gloomhaven if I wanted to do, uh, you know, hex-based or, you know, tactical combat. Um, So, yeah, I was looking into more, like, uh, uh, role-playing systems that were more silly or just more, like role-playing more than the actual combat stuff. Um, and there are some ones out there that are like specifically made for that, which I thought was interesting. Can you name think... some of them? Oh, sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, no I was going to say, I, think, I, I, was, I was just going to say, I think you should, I think you should have a conversation with Patrick in the Discord channel because he does not play D&D. Well, he's played D&D, but his campaigns are almost so, almost explicitly not Dungeons and Dragons run campaigns. Um, and he's run some pretty fun ones in the past that do have some combat that runs quicker, snappier when they when there is combat. Um, and I think you might like some of the ones that we've played. I've heard of uh, two of them. There's the kids on bikes one, I think. And there's the one where your bear is stealing honey or something. <laughs> honey heist? I yeah. want to play honey heist Me too. so So do I. God. Okay, I would cool. not recommend kids on bikes, by the way. It was no. an absolute slog. Uh, I didn't really enjoy it. And it could be because uh, Patrick wasn't DMing and he's usually like snappy and quick with things, but I didn't love kids on bikes. So, but Honey Heist, Jordan, go ahead. It was quickly off the top of my head, some that I would love to play, and they're called like one page RPGs that might be kind of what Nick is looking for. Uh, Lasers and Feelings. Swords and Scrolls, uh, Roll for Shoes, um, and I think the other one is like Life of John or something. Life of John seems super interesting where you're all all controlling one single player, which is John, but you all have your own specific hidden goals that you write down. It's like three different goals. I think one's like easy, then medium, and then hard. Uh, so one of them might be Can you like... say those names again since Nick just sat back down? <laughs> sure. Lasers and Feelings, Roll for Shoes, Swords and Scrolls, and Life of John. Something like that. So mm-hmm. one of your, your goals might be like, tie my shoes might be easy. Medium might be like, go on a date. And the third one might be like, jump out of a helicopter. So... You have to complete your tasks hidden, uh, secretly, excuse me, from the rest of the table. And the first person to like complete their tasks first wins. Uh, so there's a bit of a competitive nature to it. But if you kill John, if you get John killed, you lose control. And you can like roll to get control back uh, from him. And you have to roll to like complete your tasks. And it's great. It's like you only roll, uh, I think it's 2d6 for the whole game. Um, there's no stats to keep track of and there's no, you know, 
I, I haven't tried any of them, but they sound they sound fantastic. Uh, one page RPGs is what I was talking about. And the one that first came to mind for me that you might find enjoyable because it's quick and easy. It's called Final Girl, which is also the name of a board game I backed on Kickstarter. But this is an RPG. And basically, it's a horror movie role playing game. I'm reading it uh, meant to emulate slashers or any other horror movie where the characters are picked off one by one until only one survivor remains to confront the killer. And basically, you go around the table and everyone kind of takes a character and one person is the killer and they try and come up with like a stupid way to like kill off one of the characters. So we were all on a cruise ship. And for example, there might've been like, uh, I don't know. They might've been at a buffet uh, and the killer could say, Oh, uh, a puddle, like the ice sculpture melts and one of the characters slips on the ice puddle and hits their head on like the side of the buffet. And you have to like, do that character versus like the killer in like a mini combat to see if it works. And if you successfully kill the character, you continue on as the killer. (laughs) And it was just like ridiculous because everyone was coming up with more and more outrageous ways to try and kill people. It was great. I think you'd like that one as well. So there are definitely some role-playing systems out there that are more fun, Uh I guess you could say. Yeah. And can be completed in one session, right? I think that's the, the key as well. Yep. Um, I think just one thing that I want to bring up before we potentially wrap things up with D&D in general, and just to bring it back to D&D, is there were a couple of standout moments for me in the campaign that I wanted to bring up. Yeah, we should talk the, most memorable moments for sure. Yeah. Uh, the first for me, and I hope I'm not stealing this from anybody else, but the first for me is absolutely when Nick decided to walk off into the forest, come great. back come back with a rat and try and torture a villain into giving up information with a rat by doing that whole like rat on the stomach thing that they do in like mob movies. And it was just so out of nowhere and hilarious. And I just, I loved that moment. I thought that was amazing. And the rat eventually becoming a beloved (laughs) NPC for the rest of the game. (laughs) Just popping up when he needed to, but otherwise just chilling in my backpack. Yep. Um, Then the the other one for me, just in terms of creating like NPCs and places, uh, my two favorite NPCs were Olcoris, the naked bard uh, who showed up in every stupid situation, drunk and without clothes. And uh, Nathan Ashclaw, who is the Jeff Bezos of this whole planet and literally can teleport between all of the shops that he owns in like every town. And that was he was the first NPC that I came up with for this entire campaign. And I'm like, I need this somewhere in here. There's going to be like a shop owner in every town and he's going to own a shop in almost every town and just pop up. And just the reaction that we got from some of the characters, like Nick being afraid of all of the like popping back and forth and leaving every shop every time Nathan showed up. I thought that was great. So I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah, he was so well done. I loved that character. <laughs> I thought that was such a cool idea. With the stones lighting up too, right? That was really neat. Yeah. Yep. So he had like stones that would light up whenever somebody would ring a bell in one of his other shops. You could see. So I, it was also, I also was using that as a little bit of a hint to you guys as like, as to like what other towns existed in the, on this like continent. 
so there were like stones that lit up over the names of other towns that you didn't know yet. And when the stone lit up, somebody would be requiring help and Nathan would like disappear and go to that shop instead and come back and things like that. So, yeah. Those were my memorable moments. I really liked the uh, the Stonehenge thing that I mentioned before with the four different portals, the north, south, east, west, and like looking in some giant mirror portal into Lord Farquaad's room or something. I don't know. I always pictured this guy you described as Lord Farquaad. That was that was Emmett Fang, the werewolf co-leader of the Crescent Company. Yeah. In case you were wondering. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really neat and how we would... I really like the thing in discord where you can be in a different voice channel because this is something you can't really do in an in-person game so you know you i would i went through one of those portals whatever and you said pop into this other voice channel so i went over there you went over there you told me what i saw i got to ask some questions and we went back into the voice channel with everyone and i had to describe what i saw and people asked me questions and stuff because in person you're not going to be like okay let's get up from the table and walk over to the bathroom and close the door and talk for 20 seconds and let's go sit back down you know that doesn't work so that is something that's good for online role playing games and i think it's great that you use that and i thought that was a fun experience for sure you see that guys you see that you see i'm just kidding they told me like two sessions later not to use the whispers <laughs> channel because it's just easier to do it all in one <laughs> Uh, which i which i thought was hilarious well it was it was fun if you were the person going into the yeah the whispers channel right. but for I'm everyone else we're like, right, right. i know i'm i'm or, just messing with you guys yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah it's but yeah it was it, i could definitely see how doing it over the computer definitely has some some advantages um just being able to use more different technology and me being sat in front of my computer, I had the D&D Beyond, which I don't think... I remember I played uh, the starter set before with some friends of mine and doing it on paper. It was fine, but I just like... Just the ease of use for with D&D Beyond and being able to use my computer to look things up whenever I wanted, that was, that was really nice a couple times. I or, do enjoy making a character pen and paper, though. Yeah, I think that's Agreed. a lot of fun. I think I would make a character pen and paper and then throw the info on D&D Beyond at like the end of each session just to keep it up to date. Like just so I would make D&D Beyond like the DM's portal to see all the characters. I feel like if I'm a player, just something about having the pen and paper is kind of fun. But I liked both. I think it worked really well for us having the D&D Beyond stuff set up. So Curious to your guys' thoughts quickly on... Um... I know, I know Ben's uh, preference, so I'm asking this is directed to Jonah and Nick. Uh, your preference over, between, more <laughs> tactical grid-based combat or more theater of mind play, where you don't really care about, you know, exactly how many feet, like, they can walk or the exact angles or things like that. I think it gets to be a bit of a pain to worry about how far I can sprint and how far I can reach and how many daggers I'm holding and all this stuff. So yeah, the theater of mind, if that's what it's called. Cool. Yep. Yep. I think the D and D system lends itself more to that than actual, 
or the parts that I found fun about it were the parts where I was able to imagine things in my mind. And when you start, yeah, needing to crunch numbers basically on certain things, it's like, mm. and I know that's part of the game because you're rolling dice and adding numbers together and stuff. But yeah, there's a certain point where I'm just like, okay, maybe this is <laughs> too much arithmetic. And yeah, it took me a bit out of the actually feeling like I was taking part in it as yeah. Uh, yeah. There's uh no. go ahead. I was just going to say, do you think in person, the dice based combat would be smoother? Or do you think it doesn't really matter to you if you're rolling in person or like, yeah, I don't know. I, cause my previous, my first group, uh, we also ended up because there is something nice about having some physical reference. And so our DM would like draw things out on a piece of paper, just so we had a general idea of what the landscape was like, because it was pretty easy to forget um, sometimes. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, like I said, I just don't like the D and D combat system in general. So I don't know if I have, would have a preferred way I think it's super player dependent, so that's totally cool. Uh, I know some groups that live and die by, you know, exact numbers and and extreme tactical combat. Um, it's it's just finding you know a group that that everyone's on the same page about. Um, so I think that's that's the key on on finding your fun. Mm-hmm. I liked yeah, and I, I liked your 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 maps by the way a lot though. <laughs> oh yeah, they were great. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I so, like, I either made really well. I think. Yeah, I that, so okay. So I think it's time for me to just really quickly plug some of the tech I used while I was doing this for people who might want to be trying to do things online. Um, I used for like journal journal entries and like keeping up with the story and mapping. I used an app called Legend Keeper. It is, I feel bad for doing this, but it's a Patreon subscription. It's $5 a month, but you pay that $5 and you get beta access and then you can cancel the $5 and you still keep the full beta the entire time. So I feel bad saying that I stopped supporting the creator after a couple of months, but I also lost my job and knowing that I could keep Legend Keeper while not paying $5 a month for Legend Keeper was great. And I will definitely, when it is out of beta and I have a job again, support the creator again because I thought Legend Keeper was fantastic and there are updates constantly and I really liked it. Um, I was able to add maps. So I used uh, a, an app called Wonder Draft for the world maps. Um, it's a really easy way to make like overall world maps. So I was like, you could put in like, Oh, I want this percent to be land, this percent to be water, this much to be like inland water versus oceans. And then you just like click generate until you get something you kind of like. And then you can like fudge around with like the map itself using like tools um, to like add coastlines, add trees and hills and mountains. So that's how I made the overall world map that you saw from the main page. And then I found this online site that randomly generated like town maps based on size so the individual town maps i didn't make i would like to in the future because i think it gives me a little more control over what things look like um and then i used dungeon draft which is the 
dungeon specific map creator from the same person who makes wonder draft. And that was how I made some of the, um, battle maps, but a lot of the battle maps come from the subreddit, the battle maps subreddit. People put up free battle maps or advertise their Patreons by putting up some free battle maps. And, uh, I was able to use some of those. And then the big one, uh, the entire thing that I used for combat and kind of showing you guys what I was looking at is called Foundry Virtual Tabletop. And it's kind of an alternative to Roll20, which I know is like the big online virtual tabletop system. It is a one-time $50 fee, and then you own it for life. And it's like the most amazing piece of software. And I wish if we had more time and had a bigger investment that... Not saying that I wish you guys would do more because I don't, but I wish you guys had the chance and time to get into what you could have done with this because while I was showing you my screen, I could have invited you all in and you could have individually controlled your characters, done your attacks on your own, moved your characters around corners and stuff. And Foundry is amazing. There's all these modules that like the community makes so you can have like ambient noise. So like, let's say, you're going into a tavern there. You don't hear anything until you get close and then you might hear a little bit. And then when you open the door, like music explodes because you're in a tavern. It does like cool things like that. And on the battle maps, you can like paint out where the walls are. So if you were controlling your own characters, when you would click on your own token, you would be blacked out of what you couldn't see until you like visually saw it, mm. um, which is really neat. And I know a lot of times there were some hiccups where I would reveal enemies by mistake because the GM view shows the entire map and I was sharing my screen and it's fine. You guys were cool with it. It didn't really like bother anybody. I mean, except for Jude piping in and saying, Oh my God, look at those zombies over there. And I'm like, Oh my God. Um, which is fine. I didn't, it wasn't a big deal. He's um, 15. Let's go. Easy yeah. Now. Yeah. No, it He's wasn't. A, it wasn't. Had a type. <laughs> no, it really was. It really wasn't a big deal to me, but um, like if there was, and again, I'm not saying like I wish you guys put in more effort, but if you had gotten into that aspect of it, I think like Foundry is so powerful and really, really cool. Um, so if you have players who would like to control their own characters and you're doing it virtually, I think Foundry is way better than Roll20, especially considering Roll20 is like a subscription based thing. And this is a one time fee. So I just wanted to shout out some of the tech that I used to actually do this. Um, but I appreciate that you like the maps and things like that, because I did make a few of them myself and it was a lot of fun. So it was cool. Uh, so just in conclusion, really quick, and uh, I just want to say again, I appreciate you guys playing uh, and putting up with my first time DMing and coming up with stuff off the cuff half the time. Uh, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. And if you guys wanted to play something else in the future, whether or not it's D and D, I am more than happy to run a game now that I've done something like this. I never knew that I could do something like this, but now I literally have a notebook sitting on my desk next to me that has future campaign ideas, encounter ideas, location ideas. So I'm like a hundred percent down to do things like this again. So it was a pleasure, Ben. Say. Thanks for doing all the hard work and heavy lifting. Yes. Yeah, no problem. Much yes, appreciated. I know and you're I hooked now. <laughs> yes. I, I mean I, I was kind of hooked before, like in terms of wanting to do it, but now that I've done it, I'm legit hooked. So yeah. Yep. I know I kind of might have sounded like I was just talking crap on all of it, but I the 
some of the bad things I really didn't like, but there were some quite a few moments that were just like some of the best, <laughs> you know, most fun things I think I've done. And just using creativity and using my brain in a different way. It was, it was magical. Oh, magical <laughs> because we have our wizard here with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan was the wizard and he didn't cast fireball nearly enough. Um, I only got it at level three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I didn't level you up fast enough, but no, it was, it was great. I again, appreciate it. I'm glad you guys seem to enjoy it. And uh, for our listeners, thank you for tuning in and uh, listening to us ramble about this campaign that, you were not involved in, but hopefully you got a sense of, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. And thank you for listening. And again, thank you to Louisa for the great music throughout.